Welcome to the second season of the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. In season two, we will take a deeper dive into how the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment, cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding for each and every student. I am honored to share these conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers with you. Today's episode is sponsored by Pinnacle Assurance, Colorado's trusted workers' compensation provider. Thank you so much for listening in. It is such an honor to have Kirsten Myers-Blake back on the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. Last summer, Kirsten joined me to talk about remote teaching and learning, specifically ways to foster classroom community and establish learning workshops in a virtual classroom. Kirsten has worn many hats in education and is currently a classroom teacher and a PEBC lab host in Denver. Kristen, welcome back to the podcast. Um, it is so great to see you. I can't wait for this conversation today. But let's start off by talking a little bit about what are you doing? What does teaching look like for you this year? Thanks for having me, Michelle. It's always my favorite thing to come and talk to you. It's super healing for me. Um, I So this year has been a year of so many firsts, um, quite like figuratively and very literally, I'm teaching first grade for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So, um, but I think, you know, I, I am just returning to the classroom, like from being in leadership for about nine years, I taught for eight years and I was in leadership for nine years. And so now I'm back in the classroom. So I'm pretty green as far as getting back into the swing of things when everything, when COVID sort of hit. Um, And so I went back as fifth grade. So I started the year teaching fifth grade. um, And then I moved into in October after eight weeks of teaching fifth grade, they needed somebody to teach first grade. And I like some crazy lady raised my hand and said, I'll do it (laughs) and moved into first grade. Um, I also have my own two, I have my own third grader and first grader at home with me. So somehow, you know, at the beginning of the year, I would be teaching fifth grade all morning and then I would log off for lunch and I would teach third grade and then I would teach first grade again with my own kids. So it's been a lot of firsts, like I was saying, um, for me this year. Wow. Well, and you know, when you think about just that transparency and that honesty, there are so many teachers who I think are right now nodding their heads and are like, yes, and leaders, right? Like we've never done this before. And like for so many teachers, they also switched horses midstream, that there have been a lot of changes. And so, you know, as we wrap up this year, this pandemic year, I know there are so many things to celebrate and there were so many challenges and obstacles. And I'm really excited for our conversation today to kind of unpack some of those and to really be thinking about, well, what what happened, how to go, and what might we take away from that? And so I'm just wondering for you, when you look back on the year, what were some successes that you experienced? Well, I think as you were saying that, like going through from March until now, so it's been a year, I sort of think of that ride at Six Flags that's like you're spinning and then you get sucked to the wall and then you're just, you just keep spinning, but you soon, you kind of get your bearings. You're like, this is part of the 
part of the ride. Um, and I think that that's what this year felt like for me is that I got really used to sort of the spin cycle of, of not knowing what was going to come. Um, because it was just this constant unknown, unknown, mm-hmm. unknown, and things changing for me. Um, but as I think through what, as I'm reflecting back as to what was really like, what were those morsels of success or of joy that I'm going to really cling to? And I really brighten up, like my whole body changes when I start to talk about something. Um, I realized that those were really born out of difficulty. They were Mm. born after out of something that was very distressful. Like there was a moment of panic. Um, And one of those was, you know, at the beginning of the year and and teaching um, my fifth graders. And I I was, how am I going to see their writing? Like the worst thing you can do for for young writers is to not get to them till they they think they they finished, right? <laughs> so because it just destroys their entire soul um, when you tell them that they have to go back and revise. So I was like, how do I see them? They're writing along the way, and um, so you you really started thinking out of the box. So I, I was using. Um, Google Classroom, where I would literally pull up and I could, I could sort of monitor like who's got their hands on their paper, who's actually like logged in and is starting to, to doing some composition, um, who um, is really like really rolling here. So it gave me sort of this barometer of the classroom. So our workshops felt like a normal workshop. You could have this hum, but but one of the things I love about what Carl Anderson talks about is how he talks about how when you confer with a writer, it's not just that writer that benefits. It's everyone around the writer that you're conferring with. And that was even more true in a remote setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was this idea of, I would have a conference with my kids and by scrolling through the Google classroom writing and everybody else is sort of getting that tip and applying it into their writing. And then there was this autonomy of like, who wants to come and sort of listen in on some conferences to get some ideas or who wants to go and listen to music in this other breakout room or who wants to go work with a partnership. And it just out of this frustration of how on earth am I going to see my kids writing? That was a huge success was this idea of us really building these relationships with conferences and, and seeing their writing and them seeing themselves. Well, that lasted first eight weeks while I was a fifth grade teacher, we went through two units and then I moved to these teeny tiny people who cannot, you know, these shorties who are still like fumbling over buttons to log in and um, I was I was super brave because I was like, we're gonna do we're gonna do breakout rooms. We're gonna do all of these things that these little ones had never experienced. And how to see their writing was another issue. Like, how am I gonna see what you're writing? So we've become really good at something called the tilt. We tilt it. Have you tilted yet? <laughs> they tilt their screens down, and you know, you hear like 
my little Austin's telling everybody, you know, so-and-so you haven't tilted, you need to tilt. We can't see your writing. You know, so it becomes this sea of little hands moving on paper. And it is like the most fulfilling moment. I didn't see that in my own classroom, you know, in in a regular classroom. Now I actually see they're all 20 something hands moving. And then the really cool part was, um, getting them to take pictures of their writing. So we did that. We do that in Seesaw. And when they were taking pictures, you know, they would realize that they would take a picture 20 feet away or sideways or with them making a really goofy face, hoping holding up their writing. And so we had this amazing opportunity to start talking about, well, can your reader actually read your writing when you're taking a picture so far away? So introduce this really complicated concept of being aware of your reader by having to take a picture of your writing. So like things that you were not expecting, um, like teaching points that never existed before or ways in like ways to hook somebody was like me saying like, let's take a look at this beautiful piece of writing that Rosalie did. We can't really read it. Oh my gosh. She needs to make sure that her readers can read her writing, which paved the way for all of that idea that, you know, concepts of print work that we do in first grade, um, making sure that their sentences made sense, making sure that, everything was coherent when we started to do editing work um, and even revision work all started from taking a picture. So that's a huge success for us this year. It is huge. And it's so interesting to hear you talk through it because if someone didn't know that was in a remote context, your beliefs around student agency, student choice, student independence, and authenticity just came through so clearly. You believe that kids should be in control of their writing. You believe that children should be able to advocate for how and when they need support. And you were able to do that in both fifth and first grade. Right, right. And and it wasn't easy, is my point. It was was definitely a moment of like tearful, oh my God, how am I going to do this? (laughs) How how am I going to see this? you know, you have the moment where you set them off to go independently in first grade and, and they, you know, screens turn off or they're all of a sudden have disappeared. And so like things like the tilt so- solved that and they became yeah. so excited about it. The yeah, other really, yeah. yeah, the other, I think something that I, I just had my, like my district observation um, evaluation meeting this morning and there was this part that I just was like, did you guys see how they did this part though? This was so exciting. So I've made amends with um, digital books. So that's one growth that I've made this year. You know, my classroom is, is filled with actual books and I would be, I just prefer them. I like to touch the pages. I like the sound of pages moving, you know, I just, it like make, I'm, my mouth is watering right now. Like I love it so much. So I had to get my used to like my kids accessing books and, and reading online. So that's a, that's a growth point for me. But one of the things that like Epic and all these other amazing resources have is they have a lot of texts that can be read out loud to children. 
So my students, when I would send them off for independent reading and when I was conferring with them, nine times out of 10 were picking books that were being read out loud to them. Well, I think that's a total that has a total place inside the school day when I only have three hours with them. I need to make sure that they are practicing some of those surface structures of getting those, that sort of, those sounds and that all that letter work off the page and making meaning with it. And I didn't, I, it was just a problem. I was super, super stressed. How am I going to do this? So we made these digital book bags. I made these digital book bags. They've got um, like a picture of the book and then with a link in them. So I had, yes, I had to teach them how to navigate the digital book bag. Then I put them in partnerships and it became this race. How fast do you want it to be until you're actually reading a book? Oh, we can do it in a minute and a half. We're down to a minute and a half. You scroll through these seven breakout rooms and my kiddos are reading. They are reading the whole time. Well, there's not enough time in our day for them to do all the reading that they want to do. They're just devouring books and going through these book bags and I'm seeing them grow. Um, and it's just something, you know, it's one thing, it's difficult sometimes to get that, like your reading workshop to really take off where they're just sort of going through their stacks of books with just such relish in their like souls. So I wanted that for my kids this year. And that for me, I, I wouldn't have felt success unless we had gotten that, gotten to that point. But I was dumbfounded when it actually happened. I was just tickled. <laughs> that is amazing. And I'm just picturing those. I'm just picturing listening in on those partnerships. And like you said, that opportunity to relish that stack and mm -hmm. to read one another. It's just, it's priceless. Yeah. And then, and then they're, I mean, and then they're doing, when you get to go and confer with them, um, you, you get this opportunity to like talk about, you know, some of your kids when they start to, instead of just doing sort of a surface level structure conference with them, um, around decoding or around making sure pushing them towards those sort of skills, then you're getting them to move into sort of some deeper level thinking around comprehension or that sort of thinking strategy work. You're, you, I mean, you're, you you feel like a million bucks. So again, those successes were born out of real moments of of trial and def probably some tears for me, you know? Absolutely. And I, I just appreciate your transparency because those are amazing successes. And like what you just said, I think is so important. They were born out of some of your biggest frustrations. So Kirsten, when you think about your successes this year, and you mentioned that they all came from a point of frustration, something that was really hard for you. How did you, how did you mitigate those challenges? Right. Well, I think about the kids, there were so many issues just with kids. Like you, you're, you're concerned about each individual child. And I had a lot of kids that were just, it was just focused on um, kids getting to school, kids, Ac accessing academic content. And that just has to do with my classroom. But then there were a lot of like issues. I think all of us teachers have really experienced things outside of our classrooms, whether it's with 
colleagues or teammates, my particular school, we are so fractal. We, we just don't see each other. We don't, we aren't able to talk to one another. Um, so we're super, super isolated. And out of isolation brings a lot of, you know, division. And when you have hard things happen, when you feel alone, it's even harder. Um, things coming down from the district with REDACT um, training and um, new new training that we have to do. Um, and, and just some like language, I think, didn't Time Magazine like write this thing and it said the lost year and it's a picture of like a classroom. I mean, it felt like a, it was so hurtful and so sad to me that that was the perception uh, of what we're, we're rocking. So I noticed that as these challenges, not just inside my classroom, but all of these external challenges that I'm sort of trying to navigate come I don't, I'm not able to see things black and white anymore and everything kind of turns into gray and I am completely unable to determine importance. I don't know what direction to go. Everything is either, everything carries the same amount of importance and weight or I'm unable, I'm sort of lethargic and I don't know what to do. Um, so when that, I sort of had a moment when I realized, ooh, you're, you're stuck. And how are you going to get out of this? And I keep getting that moment. Like the next thing, we're losing our, our, we're losing both of our leaders next year. So like every single time you learn something new, um, I had to really realize that I'm not able to determine importance. So I had to lean into that thinking strategy hard and really allow my, like, you know, Jiminy Cricket says, let your conscience be your guide. Let my beliefs guide my feet. So when I was unable to determine importance, I had to go deep into my beliefs and allow it to shed some light on what I, what next steps I could do with my, with my students and with myself and how to navigate all of these things. Um, I think one of them that carried the most, um, weight was the idea of when I get really, when I'm really concerned about a kid or I notice my parents, just the parents, I would reach out to them and they just felt like they were failing left and right. Um, that I, I always tend to fall on the side of I'm going to build relationships and I'm going to love hard. That is going to be what I'm going to do. And I decided that every Friday I'm writing a love letter to the parents of my students and I'm telling them what they've done right this week um, and reminded them, you know, I know we're frustrated about this, this and this, but let me remind you of some truths that you can stand on. You love your children. You are there for your children. You want the best for them. And me being able to sort of echo back this like truths that we can stand on that aren't changed by COVID that aren't changed by this current circumstance. I was reminding myself of those things, but also building this community that, that is speaking from that place and really able to engage from that place. We have our last um, big, we do, we do publishing parties big 
in Miss Kirsten's <laughs> first grade classroom. So we dress up in full formal wear with top hats and gloves. And um, we have our last publishing party tomorrow night. I wear an off the shoulder dress, old bridesmaids dress, you know, we do it big. Um, but I was getting ready for tomorrow night and I have their piece of writing that they wrote in October and I have their latest piece of writing and it does not take a genius to see what has happened to those writers. Just from the naked eye, you see how they have grown and interspersed between that, I'm sort of writing some of these truths to these families and to these children to let them see like our work, our work has not been in vain. Our kids have grown. They love each other. They um, speak up for themselves. They are, um, I refuse this mentality, this deficit minded mentality of children that in thinking about like our kids have never had to be so intrinsically like motivated to get something done. Um, our kids every day, my kids stay on and play with one another for an hour, an hour. They're on there having lunch bunch together, laughing, talking together. And that happened despite the odds that we were concerned that they're going to lose it. Well, I think that's such an interesting piece to bring up, Kirsten. I mean, you just mentioned we start talking about challenges and you're talking about you know, determining importance. Mm-hmm. And how is it when we are so isolated and so exhausted, how do you make a decision? How do you decide what is most important? Like when you said everything is gray mm-hmm. and I just am, you're just reminded, I think all of us to think about our beliefs mm-hmm. and that primary belief of yours is love hard. And you gave mm-hmm. us two great examples of that you know, just making those personal connections with parents mm-hmm. and also celebrating success and celebrating growth. Yep. Now let's talk a little bit about this um, idea of learning loss and mm-hmm. how might we reframe that, all the deficit language that we're hearing, because I know that when we were talking earlier and we were you know, thinking a little bit about our conversation, you and I just couldn't stop talking about, about this issue. Mm-hmm. And so how do you determine importance or how do you kind of wade your way through that particular challenge right now? Right. Well, I think it, it hit me in the gut when a online colleague on Twitter posted something that I had never thought before. She really unpacked some language that I have used um, and just showed the the sort of foundation of that language and how it's how it is so weighty towards um, towards viewing children in, in such a deficit way and a lot of that has racial Im- implications a lot of it has um, just and, and even the roots are so deep and I was so humbled. I was just so humbled um, to talk about, you know, my strugglers or my kids. This is a lost year. What is she going to do next year? How are they going to manage this? Um, And that language is happening left and right publicly on like actual school wide district pieces of paper. Or what are we doing about our kids and their learning loss and their lost year? 
And I find that to be so dangerous. I think it's dangerous, not just for our children. Yes, yes, 100%, mostly for our children. But it's also super dangerous for their teachers. Um, And when we come to a staff that has worked as hard as any school staff has worked this year, having an asset mindset is going to be huge. And then also looking at our children and saying, okay, sure, some of this, you know, I had to teach, um, (laughs) I had to teach money to kids remotely, which is hysterical. Um, (laughs) It's just like, how do, when they don't have coins in their hands, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. There's all these games that you play with money. Um, but one of the things that I noticed is in the midst of that, they are communicating. There's four kids that are like, get the penny, get the penny. No, that's the one cent. That's the one cent. You're going to the dime. You got to get to the pit. So the, the like language that they were using and the communication and the discourse that was happening because something was taken away with us is huge. Now we're not going to see the benefits of that until we get back into the school next year. And we see like, whoa, these kids can communicate. My one of my best friends, Melody, she's back in uh, in person, and she's like, "These kids just don't stop talking. They are just constantly <laughs> talking. You know, it hasn't stopped them." And I'm like, "Whoa, this is these are exciting again, hard, but problems that are that are born out of this, and we need to reframe our minds and reframe our language, and I think put a stake in the ground and say." you know, um, I'm committing to not use that kind of language, Mm. uh, just because I believe in something more. And I want, I think that there are some people that might be listening that are kind of like, well, that might be some toxic positivity, or you're, you're trying to always see the, the bright side. And I would say reframing is different reframing is actually seeing what you didn't see before. And, and for me, that's, that's the biggest part is I have to go, I have to look for those pieces. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's the hard, it's the harder, you know, they're arguing, Oh, but they're arguing, but they're talking and look at the academic language that they're using. (laughs) Absolutely. So like, I love the way you said that, like it's reframing is not toxic positivity. It's not, pushing something under the rug. It's just using a new kind of set of criteria when we're looking at a situation. Yeah. And so, you know, today as we've been talking and as I've been listening, you have really helped illustrate just how oftentimes something hard leads to something amazing. Right. And always, it's all, almost, almost always, but almost it takes always. time. Yeah. It takes time. And you've really helped us think about you know, how do we get unstuck? Mm-hmm. Or how can we really tap into those beliefs that we hold? And everyone has their own set of beliefs and different beliefs that they prioritize. But, you know, your beliefs around being asset-minded and creating relationships, relationships and believing in your students are all these red threads that appear through these stories of success and these stories of challenge today. So mm-hmm. when you think about, you know, What's going to happen next year when kids go back to school? What's your greatest hope? What do you, what are you hoping? What are you anticipating? What do you think is going to come out of this? 
you know, I had the opportunity to, like I said earlier, we are hiring for two new leaders in our building. And I wrote a very long letter to them, sort of articulating my hopes for next year. Um, and my number one hope is healing. Mm-hmm. Healing in a way where there is something um, healing in the idea for for so for so many for so many reasons. But this idea of there being joy again at coming together, the bringing together of people, the bringing together of teams. I cannot wait to walk down the hallway and embrace my colleagues. I have missed. Just the little, you know, my colleague who was right next to me last year, we would play our music in the mo- in the morning and sort sort of say like, have a good day every morning. And you, I miss that moment. Um, so the, the coming together of people is what I'm really excited for. I'm also excited for the celebration of us being able to maybe weep and gnash our teeth over how hard this year was together. Um, Mm -hmm. And for kids to be able to, to do certain things together again. Um, I think that those are my, those are my biggest hopes um, is this togetherness and this healing. Um, But I would also hope now that I'm talking is that we might be able to reframe our mindsets about this year, about what was hard, because I believe that we're going to see a group of kids that are able to do things that they've never been able to do before. Um, Stick with a problem. I mean, the number one thing that I taught my first graders right away was like when things, when something doesn't work or you can't hear or a link doesn't work, you need to say something. Like, don't just give up. And it was funny how that, like, I did a little mini week-long unit on that <laughs> because it was so easy for them to just be like, oh, the link doesn't work. That's not how it goes. But whoa, what did that teach our kids just about talk about, like, grit or talk about sticking with something when it's hard? Um, this, that's an opportunity. So I'm hoping that we can reframe our understanding of this year and see our kids and see the new skills that they, that they got that we didn't know that they were going to have at the end of this. Absolutely. And Kirsten, as, as we wrap up, I just want to thank you and all of your virtual learning colleagues out there in Colorado and across the nation who, and across the world who have really taken on these challenges and created such beautiful opportunities for students to feel connected virtually and Mm -hmm. to learn, to -hmm. be a part of a virtual community, but also to be learners and to have teachers like you who believe in their potential and love them and didn't allow the screen to be a barrier for that. Right. Right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And I I think that I just, I want, I want for our teachers to think through like, what are your beliefs? Are they connection? Is it relationships? Well then go, go build one. Is it that you really love to be organized? Go organize something. Is it that you really need to go and figure out some really exciting, um, 
sort of investigation for your kids to do, go do that. So when we don't know what to do, let that thing that is your own secret sauce, that thing that you love, that brings you joy, pour that into your classroom. And that's where I think that's going to help us from getting unstuck for sure. Kristen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. I would like to thank our sponsor. Pinnacle Assurance is Colorado's leading workers' compensation provider. For over 100 years, they've been at the forefront of protecting, understanding, and caring for workers and local businesses with trusted coverage and expert safety resources and services. The ways we work will undoubtedly evolve, but the need for worker protection always remains the same. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Wardhofer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized, on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram.